I have just launched my very first online personal branding course for recruiters. With you listening to this podcast, you will know how passionate I am about personal branding and how much of an impact it's had on my career. It's what gave me the courage to start this very podcast. Now, I do not doubt with you listening to this podcast, you will know about the importance of personal branding as a recruiter in today's market. But you might be thinking, how the hell do I start? What do I create content about? And how can it help me make more money as a recruiter? On this online course, I'm going to help you cut through the confusion with personal branding, not only to learn how to start building your brand tomorrow, but to make sure you're equipped with the correct strategy and mindset for long-term personal brand success. Now, if this is important to you and you want to add branding to your skill set as a recruiter, then make sure you go and check out the online course. And yes, this is a podcast ad by me for me. (laughs) You can enroll on the online course by clicking the link in the episode show notes and with you being a recruitment roller coaster listener, of course, you will get a special discount. You can use the discount code podcast to get a discount on the course itself. Hopefully, I'll see some of you on the course. And now let's get into this episode. So, the big question is this How do the best recruiters and recruitment business owners? ride the highs and lows of recruitment whilst ensuring they remain at the top. How do they stay consistent? How do they manage their time? How do they cultivate the correct mindset? And what are the best recruiters and recruitment businesses doing differently? These are the questions that all recruiters want to know the answers to. This is the podcast where I have real and honest conversations with some of the most talented recruitment professionals globally to uncover all their secrets. My name is Hisham Azuz. Welcome to the Recruitment Rollercoaster Podcast. This podcast is sponsored and supported by my good friends at Hunted. Last year, Hunted helped over 300,000 recruiters all across the world. They're dedicated to improving not just the industry, but your place within it. If you want to be a better recruiter, have more resilience, see greater success in your recruitment career, or simply change jobs or country, then you need to check out hunted.com. I'd love you to check it out and let me know what you think. Welcome to the Recruitment Rollercoaster Podcast. My name is Hisham Azuz, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Gemma Gaychik, who is the Managing Director of a recruitment firm called Elysian Search Consulting. They're a boutique management consulting firm, um, search firm, sorry, based in London. There's 15 um, people in the business, and they've been going for nearly three years Gemma, thank you uh, for joining me remotely today. Yes, you know, it's quite a history, mate. How, uh, yeah, how... we decided to go with no camera because yeah, uh, no the, camera. The, the, the COVID diet has meant that I'm not camera ready. <laughs> <laughs> how, um, let, let's just start with like, how, how are you finding things, Gemma? What's going on? So you're, you're out in the sticks, aren't you? Which is why yeah. um, internet 
is, isn't the best, but I'm sure the no. scenery and where you live makes up for that. But how? Oh, well, I'm, I'm, I, I think I'm thankful every day that I'm based out in the countryside, to be perfectly honest with you, because yeah. uh, it means I can get out with the dog and, and I, I don't feel quite so disconnected from from humanity but um yeah it's fine the the work from home with the internet is an interesting challenge and I've done a few of these um calls with some of my clients as well and that if I could have more powerful internet if anyone could come up with a solution for me to be (laughs) more powerful internet I would be a happy bunny yeah but yeah it's fine I mean the, the the only gripe I have with um internet is like how is there not better internet on trains like how does that not exist yet that's I don't get that well, to be honest, the internet on the train is better than my home internet. <laughs> <laughs> so you're in a more fortuitous situation than me. Fair I'd enough. rather be sat on a train right now. You might be able to see my face. Um, yes. Okay. I don't know how there's not better internet everywhere, but no, I'm sure it won't be long. And especially now, that I'm sure they'll be working on it mm. frantically to get us all well connected. For sure. Um, in this new in this sort of new world that we're entering into. Well, um, look, Gemma, where I always uh, like to start on this podcast is how uh, how did uh, Gemma enter the, the lovely world of recruitment? Let, let's start there. How did that happen? Um, so the, the, the true story to this is um, one of my friends uh, is, is a recruiter. Her name is Angela Stanzioni. And I was working in a, I just got a temporary job when I first moved to London in a, a really, really, really high end hairdressers where you spend like 150 quid for a, for a haircut yeah and she used to come in um and chat to me and she was lovely and kind of hit it off she was a good talk 10 years maybe a bit more older than me um but she was very wealthy and <laughs> she told me she worked in recruitment um and had her own recruitment business and thought I would be good at it so help me rewrite my cv and wow that was it really that's so cool um yeah it was what? interesting though because um it was hard because I didn't have a degree. So it was hard to get into at that time, all of the kind of people that I wanted to work for. Yeah, were, yeah. Um, they wanted everyone to have a graduate background. And I just got massively rejected from everywhere because immediately because I didn't have sales yeah. of, of any sort of specific um, experience in sort of business sales anyway, or a degree. Um, so after weeks and weeks of rejections, I, I got a job at, um, oh, I shouldn't say the name, but one of the high street recruitment companies offered me a job. Okay. And, uh, after, after having met Angela and seeing her like sign handbags and this sort of different lifestyle, um, the high street recruitment company didn't quite match up to what <laughs> recruitment to look like. So I rang around all the big names in London and went, I've been offered a job, but I think I'm better than where I've been offered. How arrogant is that? Um, and uh, yeah, so then Harvey Nash offered me an interview off the back of my, um, my begging call. Love and that. that's where I ended up. Yeah. I, I feel, I feel like for the, for, um, for maybe the sort of the typical parts that, businesses look for you may obviously what that you didn't have you made up with this sort of um initiative and proactiveness to try and really give yourself the opportunity right which goes a long way but grit is everything in yeah. in recruitment it's mm. it's the hard, one of the hardest um sales jobs i think you can you can get because it's just so competitive um and a differentiator is really just you so uh yeah grit 
I think when you're when I look at candidates now, grit is the number one thing that I want to see because mm. that's yeah. the difference between success and failure in our world. Yeah, and I think um, I mean my um, my girlfriend was a hairdresser for a good number of years, and that like you work your fucking socks off for yeah, not for not a huge financial reward a lot of the time, yeah. unless you're sort of going in the true. salon or whatever and. I mean, that, I know that that definitely translates. I can only speak for my girlfriend, but work ethic is definitely something you would have, would have had to have as a hairdresser, yeah. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think so. I think yeah. any, in, any, in, in those sorts of, any kind of menial jobs, if you like, not saying hairdresser, I wasn't actually a hairdresser. I was, um, I was working on the reception. Mm. So any kind of entry jobs, I think if you're, if you give anything that's maybe not the most glamorous, if you give it sort of a hundred percent, that's again, another good sign, isn't it? Yeah, like yeah. grafter and grit, exactly. those two things together. So let, let's just sort of set the scene uh, for everyone and sort of to give context. So over the last three years, you obviously have been growing your own recruitment business. Um, but you bit, so you, so you then joined in Harvey Nash, you've, you've now been in recruitment for what, 10, 15 years, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> more, more than that, I think. I really? don't even want to say the number. Okay. Uh, what am I? Yeah, so I was 22 when I started, so 17 years I've been in. Recruitment. 17 years, okay. 17 cool. So, years. so, okay, let's just set the scene then. So how long did you end up working at Harvey Nash for when, when you joined that? Three years. Three years. Three years. Three years, yeah. And it was yeah. a brilliant firm, great place to kind of get your ground in. Um, but, yeah, I then thought it was a good idea to go off and start my own business um, with three years experience um, <laughs> which was an interesting roller coaster I think to bring so, it back to your so title. yeah so let, let just to help me out as well for people listening so worked Harvard National for three years then decided to uh, set up on your own uh, with your partner at that point right and then and then how so then how long did how long did um how long was that roller coaster for before Obviously, was it three? Uh, was it three years ago that you it finished? So how long was that period? Yeah, three years ago that it finished. So yeah, about eleven years. Okay, cool. So um, so a decade of running your own mm-hmm. business, running a business with someone else before you started. Obviously, the more recent business on your own, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. So um, what, what I'd love to just get your thoughts and perspectives on first is just sort of let let's just think about the Harvey Nash days just very yeah. quickly because I think. Three years recruitment experience working for a big brand, yeah. To then have the courage and confidence to set up on your own, um, yeah. Quite ballsy, right? So um, I think let, let's just or talk stupid, about that. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> let's, just, let's just talk. Let's just think about that for a second. I guess, like, yeah. what what was your billing career like? Was was you a good biller? What was your first year like? Because where where did the confidence or sort of yeah where where did the um, yeah where did the confidence come? from to to go you know um, I'm, I'm open to this to, to try and make it happen so I started in a in a recession if you like so after the dot-com boom the um Harvey Nash had just gone through a, a churn of kind of middle management and then starting to build themselves back up again yeah um so the market was pretty depleted I'd missed that uh heydays of all the money brokers came in and everyone was you know counting their money I'd, I'd missed that so it was a really gritty world I mean literally even a, a brand like Harvey Nash we, we all started with a with a cold death um I was a resourcer for a really long time I was a resourcer for for, for a year um so I had a team of 
eight of us, I think it was. And yeah. I was like the team resourcer. Okay. Um, but I was pretty good at it. And I think early on, people saw that I had a quite a good connection with the candidates that I spent time with. Um, so I, I think there was an element of wanting to keep me as a resourcer because I was just helping just you're good at in general. Yeah. And then also, I don't think I showed that kind of cutthroat side of my of the that people um resonate with in in recruitment as being able to sell okay um and i think they sort of held me back on that respect perspective as well but uh in in reality it i don't know whether it was that it gave me more time whether i was a bit lucky but as soon as i after a year and i pushed to be made a consultant i never blanked i was the first to Ten out. I had a, a a strong contract book when I when I left, and and I always stood by that mantra. Like I never blanked. Um, <laughs> and I think I think that I just I think Andy, who is now runs London, but he was my team leader at, at that time. Um, I think I just convinced him there was more than one way to skin a cat. I don't think you have to be like an aggressive salesperson all the time. I think you can just be really candidate centric and really care about the individual mm. which is kind of what I wanted to do and then um I I left really because uh I had this contract book which I suppose should have kind of kept me there but I think um having seen my other half at the time start up on his own I sort of felt that it would be relatively easy to to create a good sort of lifestyle business and just have a few contractors running out and build that. Um, it's just that, and it was, um, but I think we all get quite competitive once we get into that world and a lifestyle business ends up being not necessarily something I wanted to do. I didn't just want to sit at home and place contractors that got boring. So um, okay. that's why, that's why we sort of grew from there. Okay. That's interesting. Right. So let, let's just, unpack this for a second so firstly just yeah. for my benefit and everyone listening so have you always been a, a contract recruiter no I, I mainly focus on on permanent roles now but okay. that's how I started that's how you started and I think and yeah and at the time it was you know the most aggressive I suppose type of recruitment that there was so probably quite a good place to learn how to do it um because you to be competitive in that world mm. just a quick one just out of interest how did you influence internally on sort of people's perception or know-how on no Gemma this is how you should be doing it because you know that that interesting point there you said that you probably yeah. sort of really showcased that there's different ways to skin a cat and quite quickly yeah. you're using your emotional intelligence and building connections and rather than maybe looking at these contractors as numbers and as you said being aggressive so I guess because I feel like a lot of people still have to sort of do that they they may be yeah. open and wanting to do recruitment slightly differently or whatever so I guess back then like how how did you influence internally to obviously the you not blanking helped but yeah, yeah. but like do you know what I mean how just out of interest like, how really did you... good, it's a really it's a really good question um I think one thing that I would say that is synonymous with anyone that's um successful or manages to achieve is that you work really hard and I think you can you can change perceptions of people if you hit certain stats and criteria yeah. so I was always on the phone a lot I don't struggle to hold a conversation yeah. um <laughs> on so I was, on the, I was on the phone a lot I genuinely liked the people that I spent time with 
um, and I always hit my standard KPIs. So I always yeah. got the amount of CVs out that I needed to. Um, so it was much easier to convince or to not convince is the wrong word. So I don't know if I, I really needed to convince him, but um, to show that there was another way yeah, because I still I managed to do the things that, that Harvey Nash or Andy wanted me to, to do. Yeah, um, yeah. So I think, if you, I would, I think that like, don't try to um, push away too far from the from the corporate wheel. There's certain things you know that are done for a reason, um, and as much as no one likes to be held accountable to a number, ultimately is there to make you better, to make yeah. you try that little bit harder, and to keep that forensic focus, if you like. Mm. Um, but in fairness. Uh, they let me once I they could see that I was more of a relationship person they just let me run with it and I think you to your point uh, as long as you hit your numbers yeah um, and, and make placements generally people leave you alone really argue. But yeah, yeah, yeah no but I know that it and I don't think also Harvey Nash wasn't was you know let's remember it was a search firm run by um, smart people that um, built a contingency business and then built a, a consult um, contract business, which which became really important to their revenue. Yeah. But it still had that sort of search firm culture um, and these sort of super smart people were walking around the room. So they had a different style, I think, to just your constant numbers out and were more open to maybe thinking about those things mm. too. So... I think it does depend on the culture of where you were brought up. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think it is, I think it is making, I think it is having a bit of a balance, isn't it? If you're someone right now going, look, Gemma, I, I really like, everyone's talking about branding yourself. You have to do this to stand out. I want to do more marketing, blah, blah, blah. That's great. And sort of hopefully you're mm. in, a, hopefully you're in a culture that sort of will support that or whatever. But that doesn't mean that, you let the sort of key metrics slip that exactly everyone knows that are important to you for you to give you the best possible chance of getting the outcomes that you want. So I think it is a balance. Just isn't do it? the basics. Yeah, do the basics. Just do the basics. It's important. But then do the other things to bolster your basics. Like I just used to think if you get those numbers out of the way early on in the day, so you know you kind of get that done, then you've got a bit more artistic license with how the run you how yeah. you run the best the rest of your day. Yeah. Um, and I think that if you can run your desk like that, you've got much more likelihood of being successful in the long term. Um, the metrics are there for the reason, you know, we all know every line there is in recruitment. Like numbers don't lie, it's a numbers game, blah, blah, blah. We've all been there. Um, but it's true, the top performers in any business, when you look at their numbers, they all spend more time on the phone, send more CVs out, do all those sorts of things. So yeah, yeah ultimately there is a correlation between performance and numbers it's just that I also used to notice that those people who had been there for a long time seemed to just manage to make the numbers happen and I think if you spend time making a really powerful network the numbers just happen so and that's what I focused on because I think obviously there's enough and, and you may or may not have experienced this but you're you're definitely trying to climb up a mountain when sort of me the consultant is trying to convince Gemma that look I really want to this is how I want to approach recruitment blah 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 like I want to do it a bit differently marketing first building community all this but and then if I'm not hitting the numbers and, I, and I've blanked for three months or whatever it may be then 
pretty difficult. Yeah. <laughs> Can be yeah, more difficult. Exactly that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly that. So, so yeah. Okay, that's interesting. So, okay, cool. So, look, let let's just. Um, I, I definitely want to dig into the last three years, but we, we'd be we, we can't that's just fine. brush over the the decade of um, the, the business before that. So I guess what was it was a big was a big motivator then to take that leap and confidence that essentially you were going into business with your partner, which I'm sure gave you more confidence, and he had already started it at that point. I'm assuming. Was yeah, I think, to- I think. Yeah, it definitely was. I mean, they actually started a different. Him and um, his business partner actually started a business away from recruitment, and I'd started to do quite well at Harvey Nash and felt that. Um, contacts became like friends so felt that it was relatively it didn't really matter what brand you were under I'm not sure that is always the case but I think at the time that's how I felt um so yeah he gave me the confidence to do it plus I was renting you know there was it was it was the best time in my life to be able to do it because to take that risk um I'd only just been used to earning proper money for a year and a half um so to to sort of take a step back and see where I could go and I I did the basic numbers you know if you if I at that time recruitment wasn't as competitive as it is now not everyone had uh, a preferred supply list as long as your arm or whatever and we didn't have IR35 we did have IR35 but not like it is now or will could be in a year's time um so we it, it seemed like a good time to take a leap of faith yeah. Um, and I felt pretty confident if I got a couple of contractors running, I'd be safe. You'd be all right. Um, yeah. yeah. How, how old was you at that point? 23, 24. Yeah. Because I really think I had the conversation with a chap, Stephen, that sort of had the same sort of experience, started his first recruitment business really quite early on. And I think um, not that not that if you're early 20s, that's, that's the only time you should do it. But if you're thinking right now, should I, shouldn't I? Like I think at that sort of age, with those circumstances, less responsibilities, it's, it's asking yourself that direct question of like, what's the worst that can happen? And it's pretty much exactly. what you're saying there. It's pretty much what you're saying there, isn't it? It's like I was renting. Um, if I've got X amount of contractors, which I'm confident I can, this meant that my lifestyle might look like this. But what is the worst can happen? I'm confident I'll be able to get another job somewhere else, like Harvey Nash. Or exactly. Whatever. Do you get what I mean? Exactly. It's so important exactly to remember that. that. Yeah. I think you know when you, I, um, you know that like jump the yeah. um, YouTube video. Oh, I'm what that big, girl? Yes. That little no, girl. No, there's a oh. YouTube, there's a YouTube video, and it, I think it's called Jump or something like that, and it's basically a big motivational speech. Oh, okay. And the guy, the guy effectively stands there and says, you know, if you stand over the top of a mountain for too long, looking down, you're never going to do it. Yeah, Just jump. Okay, I like that. What's the worst that's going to happen? Just jump. And I think that is probably if you look at anyone who starts up their own business, or or my friends who are. Um, have, are not recruitment owners but other types of entrepreneurs you just don't don't think about it too much you know yeah. ultimately what is the worst going to happen I think there's two areas in your life where it makes it easier and I think early 20s when you've got you've got no responsibilities no mouth to feed all that yeah. sort of stuff or later in life when you've made a bit of a contingency um, either of those those points so, yeah. but it's a leap of faith whenever you do it, isn't it? Yeah, so, I, know, I agree. I agree. I, do, I just think that sort of 
mentality and thought process because that that's what sort of i went through and i think that that doesn't when you sort of ask yourself that question that doesn't mean and i'm not saying that you still don't have doubts you do like that that's yeah, still you still doubt yourself you still look in the mirror and go who am i Gemma, the consultant been doing it for three years to do this on my own with a business partner like you will have those thoughts but it's 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 making sure they're not as loud as the what's the worst that can happen do you know what I mean oh definitely definitely yeah I think that control the controllables I knew I could go in and place five contractors right and that and once you've got five runners you know if you haven't got you've got very low overheads sitting in your in your lounge working and <laughs> you can kind of you know you you knew you were safe um but it's it's I had imposter syndrome for like yeah. ten for five years though. I'm yeah. Like seriously, who do I think I am? And I didn't <laughs> tell anybody it was my own business. I really? went to pitch it. Oh no! Like I went for I, I pitched it cheapest asset management and QBE, so proper like proper corporate places. And I, I always had a boss. Always <laughs> I need to go back and check terms with the boss. Yeah, 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 yeah. always crazy. Okay, uh, no, because I I didn't believe in myself either at that point. Okay, so. Let's just think about sort of early on in that on that journey. Then, um, what happened early on in that journey that you didn't expect? Oh, uh, I think the two thousand and nine financial crisis. I didn't expect that. Um, I think also I didn't expect. Um, that's a really good question. I think I didn't expect to struggle as much as I did. I think growing a business takes a different a level of skill set than just being a good consultant mm. um and i always found working on my own initiative like grit grinding it out really easy um i found training other people harder yeah and imparting knowledge harder mm-hmm. um and that that three the three um directors that was a difficult we were really different personalities yeah um and i think in hindsight i we probably should have set out our lanes um you know you do this you, and we did to a great address degree i was sort of sales and the, the guys had different sort of operational responsibilities. Um, but I'm not sure that we got an operating rhythm that was fit yeah. for purpose for real, real growth. And I think that was, that was a learn. Yeah. I think that's, um, I think that is really important, isn't it? Like, and it's got to be more than sort of just a conversation and sort of acknowledgement of, yeah, Gemma, you, you take sales and marketing or whatever. I think it's got to be more, yeah. a bit more deep. It's got to be more deeper than that for, for you to to make sure the lanes the lanes are clear and people trust other people to make the decisions on on their responsibilities i i think so and i think also what we were saying earlier on about that jump thing sometimes i can be a bit impulsive and i just and and don't plan things out and i actually think in hindsight um having a good solid plan of what you know you want to achieve and mapping it out um you know, there is a, um, a few different sort of recruitment gurus out there, but if you can't draw it down, it's never going to happen and yeah. all that kind of stuff. And I do think that that is right. And having all that time over it and you planned it out better. So uh, a good solid plan and some courage is probably the way I would have preferred to do it <laughs> back over again. <laughs> so so how, how did that business evolve then? So so what did it, did it become? So did you obviously, you guys obviously want to grow that business and did you end up growing yeah. it before? 
you you decided to to start Elysian. What where did the business sort of yeah. get to? To give me some context. Um, so I think we got to about twenty five heads. Okay. Um, and we were sort of a journalist tech recruitment firm um, back in the day when that was enough. I think to yeah. sort of be able to adopt to any kind of technology that was in the market. And we 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 did okay. I think we did okay as a mid-sized player without a huge sort of goal. Um, but we did find. 2009 was a bit of a hit. I think we ended up making a lot of redundancies and kind of re reworking the business from there. Um, and then we had a bit more focus because we had to. So we started talking about digital and fintech and things along those lines. Um, and it was then that I started working more in the consulting space on tech work. Yeah. Um, and then spent time with management consultants. And just loved that market. And That's I think market that's you loved, what yeah. led me into do that. Yeah. Okay. So just a quick one, just because you mentioned it, I want to make sure I ask the question as it's in my head. What mm. sort of more thinking about present um, day and what's going on now, but what sort of looking back at those times and um, the 2009 crash, making you guys as a business refocus, look at where you're spending money, where you're not spending money, sort yeah. of make you really look at where you're investing it um, and then where you're investing your resources, I guess, what what did you learn from that period that applies to, to today? Um, there's loads of stuff we learned from them. I think setting out a real niche market, you know, not trying to um, not trying to be all things to all people or whatever. The, that there's a few consultant phrases like that, isn't it? Not trying to boil the ocean to make a cup of tea or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. I think ultimately um, you want to be able to have like a, a smaller network of people that you can more actively work with that was probably my first learn and being able to think about what customers and candidates uh, or clients whatever their terminology is really want mm. um, you know what service they really really need and performing in that market but also you know that there is always opportunity out there always yeah um you know, you're never convinced me otherwise from that. I think we. I mean, I, I saw. Sorry, to, sorry to butt in, but I saw no, no. prime example of that was I saw a post this morning on LinkedIn of a guy, yeah. of a guy who was promoting his services, and his services were he can come into your office and create the sort of um, the glass material for social distancing measures. They can yeah. they can put stuff in their office to make sure that social distancing um, measures are enforced and followed. And I was like, yeah. well, when did he come up with that business idea or when did he start yeah. doing that? Like, it's just a prime example and there's so much of that. It's so true. Yeah, exactly that. Exactly that. I think there's always opportunity. Um, and we're in, we're one of the most entrepreneurial nations out there. Um, and that's what makes are strong right and yeah. it's that that ability to pivot and and to bring another um service to the market that we haven't necessarily have that's not going to change anytime soon um i think in any i started in a recession we've been through 2009 this is obviously another level i don't think anyone really knows what we're going to sure. expect from this but i do believe that if you can stay lean be be gritty and and seek opportunities then you should end up with a positive net result mm. um, and be ready for when the market picks up again because it will it always does since the cycles isn't it 
Mm, okay, cool. So I guess, so um, just for context then, so did you then start obviously um, Elysian on your own then? When you Yeah, so I actually you... started Elysian in Streamline. So oh, okay, sorry, yeah. Where, that's all right. Um, I, we kind of rebranded as a service offering and I built up a little team in Streamline doing um, consulting search. But yeah. I think uh, it made, once I started doing it, it made me realize there was a bit of a gap in the market for that. Um, and so I wanted to take the brand away from the technology connotations yeah, that makes as a sense. standalone brand. Okay, cool. So what what I'd love to know then, because I'm I'm sure there's been loads of learnings, but what what was the mindset and the sort of plan or strategy sort of soaking up everything that you learned in that sort of nine, ten years before you started to build out Elysian? Like what what did you make sure that you didn't do and what what did you you do differently that people can probably learn from and think about if they're thinking about taking the jump uh, as we called it? But what did you what did you make sure that you did differently? It's just all about a niche and yeah. just stay really true to that. Um, ultimately, you cannot be all things for people. And I think um, also remember that any niche that you pick is going to be, there's lots of opportunities within that. Mm. Um, and you just want to be a specialist. Ultimately, um, recruitment has a um, not great name down to the fact that people try to overwork the market. I think if you can really work hard with your network of people and really provide a strong service to your network of people whether they're clients or candidates i think you then have a value in the market mm. um i think also not being afraid to you know, commercialize your knowledge like you literally having conversations helping people just for the sake of helping people it works it, it pays dividends in the long run like you if you spend the time to actually think about mapping out somebody else's career, actually giving them some solid advice to where to try, what to think about, what firms to try, that you're not necessarily going to make any money on at all, but you act, you're really thinking about making them more successful and helping their career, I think that stands you in really good stead for recruitment. You need to take yourself away from a transactional service mm. into a long-term planning service then I think um, you've got a proper career that you can leverage going forward. And I think all all I would say, because I speak to a lot of recruiters, really don't underestimate, like, I think it'd be easy to listen to a podcast like this, see the content online and assume that the way that obviously you're talking about how it should be done and sort of how you should approach it, the right mentality, don't assume that your competitors or other recruiters are doing it like that. Because there's so many people that still, it's actually crazy that, the amount of people that still don't approach it like that. And I think a big part of sort of what this period and period is doing, and I think one of the sort of impacts as we start coming out of this, I, I personally think from the conversation that I've been having, it's definitely going to flush out the shit recruiters that don't have that mentality. And I think yeah. you having that mentality and the way you're approaching it, even before this went on, obviously, and sort of what, what sort of one of your clearly one of your values is what's going to enable you to keep the relationships during this period and the sort of yes. bed, bed that you've made yourself going into this difficult period is 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 made and it's and it's a great one because you've done the right thing by people and it's doing it how so don't assume that people aren't people that people aren't still transactional and 
these things because they are. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mental. know they are. Yeah. But we had another boom, didn't we? I mean, recruitment was was flying um, before this happened. Um, so in any time where, where the supply and demand is shifted in the favour of the service industry, you end up being sloppy. And mm. it's just inevitable that, um, unfortunately, that kind of, numbers game lots of sprints and just firing cvs out and all of that still it's it still works um so you you're right i think it's don't don't underestimate what the market will be now as well and yeah. i think you're right i think, I think it's really turn. i think people knew what you just i think people know and sort of hear and 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 listen to a lot sort of the sort of mantra and, and the way that you're approaching it. But I think with everything that's going on, I think it's really going to accelerate that. And it's just mm. going to really, I'd like to think that it's going to be, it's, it's just got to be non-negotiable for me, for, yeah, for people so. to really thrive. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, um, okay. So on, on the niche then, like clearly it's that, that's obviously become a really important part of your business. So I guess how, how, how much has it, how much, has, cause you hear that a lot, right? Inch wide, mile deep. It's yeah. quite common advice, but obviously that's the first thing that you went to. So I guess like how much has that really had an impact on you and your recruitment business on you growing it or on you sort of, yeah, being able to achieve what you want to, like how much has that really enabled, helped you as a, as a recruitment it's business? Made, it's just made every bit of difference. Um, mm. It's uh, because I think we, I always had quite a client centric um, model. So, um, I was always I was kind of played in my niche, if you like, even yeah. when I was doing tech recruitment. Um, but the, the real value is that you offer value back to the client. That's the difference because you can tell them what else is happening in the market. You can yeah. offer some advice that they haven't thought of. It become you become a bit more of an advisor, mm. and ultimately you just get to know the people a lot better. If you're only mm. servicing X amount of clients with X amount of candidates. So I think it is the differentiator. I know it is. It is the differentiator yeah. to be able to have a, a niche. Um, so, but spending time to keep it inch wide and a mile deep um, is the hardest bit because we all get other opportunities. That's you what know? I was going to. That was the question. Yeah, you can't help but think. But it's the power of saying no sometimes, yeah. or sort of staying true to it, and being. Um, I think being part of a community of other. Recruiting just means you can offer someone, you know, oh, it's not for me, but I know somebody who will be able to help you. Um, and and that helps. But I think that that can be the challenge. I remember Tuesday. getting I remember getting a message a couple of weeks back of because I think I think early I think early on you can be really susceptible to saying yes, saying yes more yeah, absolutely. to the, to the mm. things that maybe now you're really sort of strict on saying no to. And I think yeah. it's that sort of balance and that sort of internal struggle of, well, actually my plan and strategy, and I know my differentiator is doing just management consultancies, but right now I do need to get money in the bank. I'm early on in this journey and do you get what I mean? So I guess, yeah, how did you, how did you wrestle with that then? And I guess advice for people that, yeah, because sometimes I guess, sometimes I feel like it's, you, you, might, it, you might have to say yes, especially with what's going on right now. You have to be in a bit yeah. of the yes game. <laughs> do you know yeah. what I mean yeah I guess did yeah. you have did you have to wrestle with that there is a balance isn't there I think uh that we all need revenue and ultimately you know that's the difference between success and failure as well I think that you have to remember 
that we're in a very competitive market. And yeah. the one of the best advice that anyone ever get, gave me was constantly think about your competitive advantage. So mm. should I be spending my time on this role or should I be spending the rest of my day finding a role that is in my niche? Mm. And the answer is always to spend the rest of the day finding a role <laughs> that is in my niche. Because ultimately it feeds itself. You then find out more information about what's going on in that market. You know more candidates. You can react more quickly. You can give a better service. Um, so I, I totally understand what you're saying. And I think mm. if you weigh up your competitive advantage and you go, oh, I know this candidate, this client inside and out, and they're giving me exclusive, it's not in my niche, but I can spend the evening um, working it and then I'll find somebody. Then obviously that's playing your competitive advantage. You know you've got it exclusive. If you're picked up a role that's been on the market for a little while and you're up against other people that know that industry a lot better, yeah. I would strongly urge anyone to just keep marketing to get a job that's in your in your niche yeah, so i think yeah. it depends on the scenario but um as you grow i think that's the most important thing to stay mm. focused on is what value do you give the market and the value you give the market is knowing your topic inside knowing, and out. yeah yeah that's interesting okay so um how how difficult was that first year then in in and obviously sort of starting to grow this year and like what what were the challenges in that first year because i think again that I think that's 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 the year that people were most worried about um, yeah. in terms of taking that leap. Obviously, I'm assuming that did it help that obviously you were starting this within another business? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. It did, and and as I said to you at the beginning, like, uh, we different. We did have different roles, so I didn't really know any of the uh, some of the bits of running a business operationally. <laughs> I didn't I just kept my eyes closed to I was like I'll just go out and win somewhere um, <laughs> it's, <laughs> and that's the bit I like to do in so that year wasn't too bad obviously it's a real really 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 slow sales cycle in management consulting they're very thorough about who they bring on and and how well they screen them and all of those sorts of things so it took me a while to get off the ground I think easier to sign commercial agreements longer to get the right people across they screen really heavily um so that the year was difficult in that respect and you know understanding the the um peaks and troughs and when they hire and and all of that sort of stuff so it was it was that that made the first year difficult rather than um trying to find opportunities because it was it's been a booming market in consulting for a few years anyway um when i then took it out of streamline into a standalone capacity there's so much I would have done differently I think um hiring a really strong office manager to kind of support you on some of those administrative tasks when, uh, when would you have done that mind. I would have done that like imminently as soon as I had some like, would, would that would like so when when yeah so that's really interesting like when like when would when should you hire someone I, so I didn't hire anyone to do the administrative stuff for a year. I just did it myself. Yeah. Um, and I did outsource some of the that's the, the contractor payments and, and yeah. the fin- financial side of it. I outsource. Um, but I because I was juggling lots of different jobs. Um, my admin was so low down on my list of things yeah, to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, it just ran away with me. Um, and so in hindsight, I think I would have brought somebody on as soon as I could afford it and I didn't mm-hmm. I waited too long um but it was fine obviously I, I managed to put it back together but 
it's definitely something in if I started a business from scratch tomorrow it would be my first call and higher budget to do I love that and and just quickly like just just to run that off like yeah key responsibility like some people are going okay yeah but I I can probably just do that myself whatever but like what what are the key responsibilities for that person do you think that can really help that will really help you yeah it's it's organization it's like here's an invoice this is your invoice day this is your this is the day that you you chase invoices this is what you do with your contractors this is what you do with the timesheet so like to create a process it all goes into your operating rhythm and I think once you've got an operating rhythm with order you can grow it's like having good foundations to a house Mm. um but when you don't have that order in place, it's much more difficult to then grow because yeah. you're expecting people to just wing a process. Um, whereas it's if you come in and you create that confidence that this is the day we do expenses, this is the day we do yeah, that, yeah. it creates such a confidence to anybody else that's thinking of doing it. Um, and I think, again, spending time to have that processes all mapped out i'm yeah. bringing in somebody to rework all of my processes a consultant last year which was a game changer for me just mm. to be able to create some operations to think about the the business processes i've never even kind of considered because i think people get caught in the mindset of oh we'll do that when we get to 15 heads or we'll do that when yeah. we get to this point do you get what i mean rather than yeah as you said setting the foundations and think and more of the mentality and approach of let's do it now so that when we get there we've got we've got it set and we know what we're doing rather than let's do it when do you know what i mean definitely i think so i think yeah. that's I think they, most recruitment owners start with somebody else, right? And if you do that, then you can maybe apportion some tasks sure. between the two of you. Um, I I started on my own, so I think because I I think if you work out your your dominant skill set, and it might be that your dominant skill set is to do the business shaping and to to do all the financial stuff and to get that right and then you need to hire in somebody to do sales or Mm. then but it's working out what you're good at and spending most of your time 80% of your time doing what you're good at yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. and then get Mm. other people to do the bits you're less good at I think that's um that's Mm. a good lesson to learn how difficult has it been doing this on your own this time uh, there's bits that are difficult and bits that are easy. So it's really easy to make decisions. Yeah. You've got to ask anybody else if you think it's a good idea. Yeah. Um, really easy to change as well. So you set out, I'm, I'm the master of that. I'll give that a go for a few days and then I'll try something else. Yeah. Um, I think just really quick one on that. I think now. having your own business, I think that's one of that's one of the things that I've most enjoyed is that. Mm. And like definitely don't underestimate how great and how powerful it is to go for you to get on the phone to someone and they go, you know what, Gemma, have you thought of this? Or you have a really interesting conversation and go, you know what, that's a great Amazing. idea. I'm going to action that. You do it. And I, I, there's just, I, yeah, I, that's been one of the great well, things for me. to, to be able Imagine, to I mean, you know that my market as well, because you know people in the industry too. So imagine what it's like for me. I am mm. speaking to some of the best business leaders in the world uh, on a daily basis and they go Gemma why don't you think about this yeah the most amazing I've got the most amazing network to suck information and to think about new ways of um, modeling my business at the moment I'm doing a massive remarketing and modeling plan and I've got partners all around the world saying oh I'll help you with this or do you want to run <laughs> awesome. that idea past me it's awesome um mm. so 
exactly that I think being able to change decision decisions but the difficulty is spreading yourself too thin and yeah and training staff you know Mm. ultimately um as I said in the beginning this is a hard industry and there are elements that people don't want to do and you know that training staff to do what to learn uh, quite an intricate market has been difficult what's Um, been your biggest challenge of it because I think that I think that'll be such a common challenge especially with businesses of your size yeah like like would like in hindsight I don't know how much how much investment have you put in external training is that important like what how did you try and approach it and what have been the learnings on that side so I, I have tried lots of external and I had some brilliant external trainers come in and, and train the guys. I think you have to set, and this is what I haven't done and what I'm trying to do in <laughs> last year, I've been trying to do, set like a, a mission, like that you're all on together mm. um, and create some core, some core values that everyone believes in, but then it's embedding it. And mm. I think if you're a bit, if you're a good salesperson, you tend to go where the money flows. You tend to go, okay, I can work my way out of this. I can, I can uh, win another piece of work. I can service a client better. But uh, I remember um, Gary saying to me that you had to be Gemma to the power of 10 rather than Gemma minus 10. And I think ultimately that's the bit I've struggled with the most is it's all about, it should be about making other people better so that you have a team of people at the level that you go to market at. Mm. Um, but it's hard to get off that hamster wheel and do it. And what's been interesting about this time is the first time in my whole career that I've got off the hamster wheel and, and looked at the, biz- the business. Mm. Um, and you really look, sit there and go, God, I wish I'd done that ages ago. Or I thought about that more. Mm. Um, but spending time on really good people and also screening really thoroughly too um i think anyone the thing that i've found difficult is anyone can do recruitment right it's anyone. yeah but i guess i guess especially with like your your background as well and your story like there'll be a lot of things that will probably indicate to you oh you know what actually they could be really good (laughs) yeah so what 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 and i think so what 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 have um what have been the key actions that you've taken then to make sure that 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 screening process is a bit more slick have you used things like the psychometric tests or yep. like yeah, yeah. What, what have you done that have, that's really I have, I've, that? used, I've used um psychometric tests which has been really good but my biggest learn about psychometric tests you have to listen to what they say not still <laughs> just <laughs> <laughs> spend 250 on psychometric tests and ignore it um <laughs> um okay and and just setting good behaviors from people early on and managing expectations like it's all the it's all the basics isn't it like yeah, this yeah. is what i expect from you and this is what you'll do i think when you do that right um you will end up with some success in just just with a bit of luck but you know, which is what i have so the people that have been successful for me I've been. I just generally have hard work in self starters, you know. Ask for forgiveness rather than permission. Um, that tends to be something that works really well with me, um, and probably lots of people in who are entrepreneurial because you just want people to come in and get going. And I think that's that's been tricky. And I think that's a really interesting insight that what you just said. Ask people like people that have the tendency to ask for forgiveness, not permission. Yeah. I think that's really yeah. important in a smaller, grand business like yours. 
and and the majority Massively. of the industry, which is that it's, you want more people to go, Gemma, look, I've tried this and this is what I learned or I've ballsed up this or whatever, rather than Gemma, can I do this or Gemma, can I do that? Yeah, that's that's interesting, actually. But, oh, I think if you go to your boss with a solution rather than a problem, yeah. you're always going to be, uh, you'll, you'll catapult your career much quicker by doing mm. that. Um, I think it all comes down to what you were saying earlier on with uh, you know, hitting, making sure you hit your numbers and then being a bit fluid on how you work to get those numbers hit. Yeah, yeah. Um, because you'll go back to your business, your, your boss saying, oh, I did this mail shot and I did and I did this piece of marketing and I did this video and look at the results. Um, I think that's where that's where all business owners would love to have a team of people like that. Mm. Um, but screening really well on overcoming adversity, looking for grit, looking for behavioural characteristics. Um, and I'm just going to be signing that into my business going forward because cultural fit is just, um, or actually what it is, it's cultural adaptability, not fit, um, makes all the difference between success and failure. So if you can do lots of, uh, uh, lots of tests around that, I think getting a more successful fit for your clients and yourself is what you'll end up with. Yeah. Okay, so let, let's, um, as we sort of um, come towards the end of this, then let's just sort of segue into Gemma's business like now. Of like so, what what how how have you guys been affected? Then have you had a real drop in? Of so obviously you said predominantly perm. So I'm assuming it's yeah yeah. So obviously how how what have you, yeah? So have you as you said earlier, you've been spending a lot of time, and obviously the opportunity has been sort of spending time on on the business, and you're getting things done yeah. that you probably wish that you've been meaning to do for for quite a while. But what what's been the sort of um, message and your thought process as we're sort of riding the adversity at the moment what what's going through your head um well yeah so my clients have pretty much all paused for breath to look what what happens and and also where the demand will be yeah um and i think that's we'll be just adapting towards the digital age i think there's some interesting stats about how quickly this will have moved us forward into like plotting us more in 2028 for work practices than than 2020 so i think be interesting to see how that um pans out over the next few years but yeah i think um remodeling pausing my market has slowed right down and we've had to do furloughs we've done all the things that i think lots of other people have 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 done in order to protect ourselves um from this uncertainty on the other side Um, but as I said in the beginning, there will be opportunities. So it's now just looking at your services, like how much service can you cram in so that you can create competitive advantage? Like what else can you do? What other things can you offer clients um, to help their businesses throughout this change? Um, and I think that's what I've been spending time doing and I'm sure most of my competitors have too, so that you're in a position to um, fly, hopefully, the other side. Yeah. Um, so it's been great for that, uh, mm. and just talking to people about all the different things that you can do. Because really, you know, ultimately, we're we're advisors in the recruitment space, right? So talent is still going to be on the agenda. It's like, oh. how do people communicate? Um, how do they? How do you create a culture in a uh, work from home type world? Um, 
and then also how we're going to build our offices back up. I think if we're back in in three weeks, like what do we have to do? How yeah, yeah. where am I going to get some face masks? Like, have you have you started have, <laughs> you, have you started thinking about that? Like have you have you yeah. got yeah have you got obviously maybe not a complete sort of uh, bulletproof plan, but like. I guess yeah. Are you now thinking about what does our back to work strategy look like? Like, is that definitely? The, yeah, you got. You've, I feel Def- like you've got to, haven't you? Yeah, I think that's all that's been going through my mind over the last couple of days is what does going back look like? Because you know the transport links. Like, how long is it going to take me to commute? How is it going to take other people to commute? Um, yeah. How will we stagger our day? Will I stay working from home? Um, you know, I think all of those things have gone through my mind. Um, and, and and everybody else's so obviously when we've got a bit more clarity from the government about what the plan to return to london then we'll adapt to that how how do you how do you think this how do you think this is going to impact the recruitment industry obviously we spoke about uh, some of the things earlier but what what's going through your head on sort of yeah the impact on the recruitment industry uh so uh, I think, as I said, that recruitment will still happen, but it will. It, I think there will be a massive challenge on on having brilliant service. I think it will be very competitive again. About it won't be just who you're bringing to the market; it'll be how do you bring them to us, our the clients now, mm. and what do you do? That's what value adds do you offer? Um, how are you more competitive from a customer service perspective? So I think all of those things will be important for us. And I think remote working will become something that people do all the time. Did you have that before? So, no, yeah. I really didn't at all. And, yeah. and it's ridiculous because I recruit in digital and everyone else is doing <laughs> it. But you, I think if you're in a cult, it, we're all lemmings, aren't we? So mm. our culture is work all the hours that God sends in a London office. Like, and that's always been the culture in recruitment. Um, I interviewed somebody just just before the uh, this all happened and he and he really wanted to work from home three or four days a week. And I was just like, I just really wanted to create a culture of people, like a network of team that loved, lived and died for each other and all wanted to work together. And so I just wasn't sure it was going to work. Um, mm. And... Now, now I wish I'd given him a job. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of people will be having those sports, which I think is interesting. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm really interested to see what happens to the workspaces. You know, yeah, the that be and talks, and really interesting to watch what happens there. I think all of and you know, obviously we've all seen what's happened to Zoom. Um, I think there's still a, a market for like creating some real connectivity between teams. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think there's still a little bit more that can go in that, you know, that how do we replace, I know you've got Google Hangouts and I know there's different things you can do, but how do you replace that coffee shop? Yeah, 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 you're right. It's still, it's, still, it's still not quite, it's still not, it's not, not quite there. It's not quite there, you're right. Not I think quite there. I, I, I love Zoom, but it, it, it's got that sort of corporate feel to it. Yeah. Whereas like if, yeah. I was to, if I was to send you a link to say, hey Gemma, look, let's have a virtual coffee and we were to do yeah. that over Zoom, it still wouldn't quite feel like a what a, a coffee sit down with you would feel like. You you are no. right there. I do think that's that's. I think, I think people still. We all wear masks, don't we? We all sort of adapt our personality to the environment that we're in. So we're. A, I'm a slightly different. You'll be a slightly different issue in a pub than you yeah, are in yeah, a coffee sure. shop. Than you are in an office. Than you are, and it's being able to break down that. 
um, those masks so that you can see the real person. That's where real connections happen and that's where real ideation and innovation and all that stuff happens is by breaking down the barriers. So I think mm. there's still a little way to go culturally, um, but I think all of that will start to happen over the next 12 months as businesses get used to it. Um, yeah. And these sort of staggered starts, I, I think everyone's talking about certain different types of ways of getting us all into London without uh, safely yeah. um, and and to limit any kind of second wave. So that'll be interesting to watch um, and see how the market changes. So I think that are the biggest things, but I think there's some great innovation that will happen off the back of it. I think it should make us more connected. International recruitment, there should be no barriers to entry, right? Yeah, it, really. Ultimately, now we've just learned, haven't we? We've learned how to communicate over barrier over those barriers. So I think that would be interesting to watch. Um, and I think they'll be much more open to taking recruiters from different countries now. Yeah, no, you're right. Why you're wouldn't right. you? Yeah, I love that. Cool. So, look, I've got two final questions for you. Um, okay. First one is uh, what what is Gemma most excited to do or excited for post-COVID? Mm-hmm. What are you most excited the, for? I'm most excited about uh, launching the new business model. Um, so I've got a couple of products that I've been working on in awesome. the background. So I'm really excited about that. And I'm also most excited about going and sitting in the coffee shop. Oh, God. <laughs> seeing, oh, my God. I just want to get served. Like somebody Same. did that. I'm so bored. <laughs> <laughs> so those things I'm most yeah, excited love about. That. Oh, and just making like a random laugh on the train. Like I miss that. <laughs> I miss like just connecting with with, with weird humans along, yeah. along the way. I know, I know, I know what you mean. Um, so look, the the final question I always ask people on this show, it, you can answer it with a, a sentence, a word, a phrase. Um, basically, if Gemma could communicate to every single recruiter out there, they'd listen, they'd take on your advice. What would you say to the people? work harder like give 120 percent all the time um to everybody not just clients but candidates as well mm. that would be my biggest advice awesome love that Gemma. well look it's been an absolute pleasure thanks for your cool. time really enjoyed it thanks Thank a lot you. thanks for having me thank you so much for listening to the podcast i really want to ensure this podcast remains valuable and relevant for all of you If you have topics or questions you would love me to cover with future guests, then please get in touch with me. Best place to get me is on LinkedIn. Just search Hishimazoos and drop me a message. I would love to hear from you. Finally, if you have two minutes, it would be greatly appreciated if you could leave an honest review for the podcast. It will simply mean that I can reach more people with this podcast. You can easily leave a review for the podcast by clicking the link in the episode notes or by going to ratethispodcast.com forward slash rollercoaster. Thank you again for listening.